Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I am Sean, and I will be the host for this episode. Seeing as it's the last day in October, in this special two-part episode, I will be going over several mysterious and deadly cases that all happened around Halloween. The second half of the show will be put up on Patreon for all of our supporters to listen to, so for everyone who donates to the show as a patron, make sure to go over to Patreon after this to hear the second part of this episode. Speaking of Patreon, I'd like to thank our newest supporters, Therese, Anna, and Yana. For anyone else interested in supporting the podcast and getting access to monthly exclusive bonus episodes, please visit our page at patreon.com slash strangematters. And for now, we'll start talking about several unusual cases that all happened on Halloween. The first Halloween case I will be talking about is the strange disappearance of a man named David Stone. David was 29 years old and worked as a pretty successful stock market analyst. He was currently living in New Mexico during the time that he vanished, which was Halloween 1988. In the recent time before its disappearance, David was known to be interested in the New Age movement, as he tried to find some sort of spiritual guidance in his life. Shortly before he would disappear, David was noticed by others to starting to behave oddly. During a party that David held at his apartment just several days before he would disappear, he was seen acting strangely by multiple people. This wasn't entirely out of the blue, as David did have some emotional problems in the past, but still his state of mind and demeanor alarmed several close to him. Later on at the party, David got into a heated argument with one of his friends, and David would actually suddenly attack the other man and hit him several times before he was restrained. After the incident at the party, David told a few family members and friends that he would be taking a trip to try to relax and think about where his life was heading. David's plan was to go on a walkabout and reflect on his recent behavior conduct and how he should improve his life. David's family would later say he was going on a vision quest, an act related to the New Age movement in which a person tries to learn more about themselves. After saying his farewells, David would leave his home. No one who talked to him in the days leading up to his disappearance would have any idea what was about to happen, nor did they know that this would be the last time that they would ever see David. The last known sightings of David occurred on Halloween. That morning, he started his journey by walking out into the desert. A farmer named Larry Rivers was driving along when he spotted the man walking along a dirt road. After Larry pulled over for a brief conversation, the farmer was told by David that he was on a search looking for the beast. Who or what this beast was, David wouldn't elaborate on, and this statement still remains a mystery. Several other people also saw David walking along the back roads. Again, whenever he was questioned, he would just repeat cryptic and odd phrases. Back in his hometown, when David did not return from his trip and no word came from him after he left, he was reported missing. Following his trail and questioning the people who saw David on his last day, the police would search the area. Eventually, his car was found abandoned off the side of a road on a mostly empty stretch of highway. Stranger still, when investigators started to fan out from his car, they came across an unusual sight. A stack of rocks were built up in the shape of a pyramid found nearby. There was also a triangle that was found drawn in the dirt that was surrounding this rock pyramid. Not sure what to make of this, the search continued. 
Further along in the search, another rock pyramid was found further into the mountains. David's Rolex wristwatch that he often wore was found laying beside this rock pyramid, along with two quarters that were placed by it. The number 18 was also etched into the ground nearby. Several miles north, a series of numbers were discovered written into the sand. When compiled, it was found that these numbers were in a Fibonacci series. For those who don't remember this from math class, Fibonacci numbers are a sequence in which each number is the sum of the two numbers preceding it. So the start of a Fibonacci series would be 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, etc., where you have the 1 plus 1 equals 2, the 1 plus 2 equals 3, and so on. Some believe that David made a mistake in the sequence by writing 18 in the desert sand instead of the Fibonacci number 21, but others think that this was deliberate on his part. David had worn the number 18 when he played college football, and his car was also found right by the 18-mile marker on the highway, so perhaps one of those things influenced why he wrote that particular number in the sand. However, just as with the statements that he made to passerbys on the last day he was seen, the numbers he wrote were also a mystery. Some believe that David was trying to send a type of cryptic message, but what the beast, or the pyramid of rocks, or the triangle, or the Fibonacci numbers meant was unknown to everyone. Some speculated that perhaps it was type of some ritual, perhaps connected to this beast that he was searching after, but again this is all just guesswork. The mysteries piled up when the police searched David's car and found a note written by the man. The note said, They think the word is in the safe. Six knives in Rob's room. Use buys your teas and you buys your chances. Halloween. Just as with everything else involving David's disappearance, no one could make any sense of this note. It would at least seem from the note that David's disappearance on Halloween was no coincidence, that he had something planned for that day. However, the whole situation has left the police and those who knew him completely baffled. To this day, David's vanishing remains a mystery, and how or why it is connected to Halloween is also unknown. Some believe that David was suffering a mental breakdown, and none of his actions made any sense to anyone but himself, and that he likely just died out in the desert. Others think that his disappearance has something to do with this beast he was after, whether it was an actual creature or just a code for something else or someone, no one really knows. Four years after his disappearance in 1992, several hikers discovered a body that would later be identified as David Stone. His body was found in the same area that he had previously left behind his several cryptic clues. His cause of death could not be determined, though the police had ruled out foul play. When exactly David had died and for what reason could also not be determined during his autopsy. It is mostly believed that he died of dehydration or exposure, as the last people who saw him walking along the dirt roads did say that he was wearing just a t-shirt and shorts during a time in which it could get pretty cold out in the desert. Another theory states that David might have inadvertently stumbled across criminals during his walkabout. At that time, a large amount of crime in Hidalgo County revolved around drug smugglers. So some think that David may have accidentally came across a group of smugglers in the desert and was killed as a result. His father Harry said, David may have just been at the wrong place at the wrong time. Hidalgo County Sheriff Deputy Bill Cavalier said about David's disappearance, It was the most bizarre case I ever worked on. It was just the strangest thing that ever happened around here. 
Hidalgo County search leader Ralph Doughty also said it was one of the strangest experiences of his career, saying, We never saw where he got his water. We never found tracks near a windmill. We never found any discarded food wrappers. We're not used to looking for people who don't want to be found. Just what exactly David was doing in the desert is still a mystery. A popular theory is that he was suffering from a mental illness that was causing his erratic behavior, and that the clues that he left behind were just nonsensical actions that he was playing out. Others think that since he was on a vision quest, David may have ingested some type of hallucinogens or drugs. It is thought that certain drugs, like peyote, can cause psychotic breaks in people with underlying mental conditions. So perhaps David's odd behavior was exacerbated by taking some type of substance to aid in his vision questing. Another debate for this case is whether the clues he left behind had any meaning at all. Pyramids are said to have symbolic meaning in the New Age movement, which David was deeply interested in. David's car was left abandoned and his trail led into pyramid-shaped mountains, which could be the reason why David chose that location for his walkabout in the first place. This could also be why David was constructing stone pyramids along his trail, placed within triangle markings that he made in the sand. As for the Fibonacci numbers, they are used when analyzing stock markets, so it would be something that David was more than familiar with. So the question remains, was David trying to leave behind a message to those who would follow him? Or was it all just a random actions taken by a mentally sick man? The case of David Stone's Halloween disappearance will likely forever remain a mystery. The next case I'll be discussing is that of a story of a young child who mysteriously vanished out of her bedroom on Halloween night. On October 31st of 1977, the parents of 19-month-old Nima Louise Carter put their daughter to bed in her crib just like any normal night. Afterwards, the parents went into the living room, where they would both end up falling asleep till the morning. It was on that morning that the Carters discovered something terrible that happened on Halloween night. When the two went to check on their daughter, they found that the crib was empty. After a fruitless and frantic search of the house in which they could not find their daughter, they called the police, who immediately began an investigation. The initial and obvious explanation was that someone had broken into the house and kidnapped the young child. However, all the window locks remained intact, and there was no sign of forced entry in the house's door. After looking around the house and the bedrooms, the main theory that the police came up with is that someone with intent to abduct Nina had been hiding and waiting in the child's bedroom closet for the parents to put her to sleep. Obviously distraught, the Carters had nothing to go on, as there was no suspects and there was no ransom notes that would come. For weeks after, there was no leads at all in what had happened to young Nima Carter. Sometime later on, a group of kids who were playing in the area decided to peek into an abandoned home that was several blocks away from the Carter household. A number of kids went into the kitchen where they were searching through the cabinets and shelves. One of the kids would then open the refrigerator and screamed out as they could see the decomposed body of a young child sitting inside. The police arrived quickly at the scene, and shortly thereafter, the body was identified as the missing Nima Louise Carter. The autopsy report showed that the child had died of suffocation. It was now that the case of Nima Carter was changed from a kidnapping to a murder case, and an investigation was launched to try to find out who was behind such an evil act. It was eventually discovered that Nima's death could be closely linked to another mysterious kidnapping and death that took place just one year before. 
In April of 1976, twin three-year-old sisters Mary and Tina were lured out of their home by someone and taken away. Just as with Nima, no one had any idea who had done this, why, or where their children were. In a more fortunate turn of events, just two days later, in an eerily similar foreshadowing of Nima's case, another group of kids were walking through an abandoned house when they heard cries coming from the kitchen. The children ran into the room and they opened the refrigerator where the screams were coming from. They were shocked to find two young girls stuffed inside. By chance, Nina was still alive, though just barely. There had been a tiny hole in the refrigerator which allowed just enough air through for Tina to breathe into and survive. Unfortunately, her twin sister Mary did not survive this experience, and she suffocated to death inside the fridge. When asked if she remembered anything, Tina Carpenter said that she and her sister had been called out of their house by a teenager named Jacqueline Rubido. Jacqueline worked as a local babysitter in the area, and until this event had never had anybody accuse her of anything like this. Because of both her clean record, lack of any evidence, and the unreliable witness account of a three-year-old, no criminal charges or investigation was carried out towards Jacqueline, and she was free to go. One year after the abduction of Mary and Tina Carpenter, Jacqueline continued to work as a babysitter. In October of 1977, Jacqueline happened to be employed as a babysitter by the Carter household to take care of their young daughter, Nima. Once a connection was made between the previous abduction and murder of Mary Carpenter and Nima Carter, Jacqueline was once again brought up as a main suspect. However, once again, there was no evidence to link her to the abduction of Nima on Halloween night, and she was not charged. Fortunately, there was a breakthrough years later when there was enough evidence and witness accounts were compiled to finally convict Jacqueline Rubidoux in the murder of young Mary Carpenter, and she was given a life sentence. Though found guilty of one of the two kidnapping murder cases in the area, Jacqueline would never admit guilt in the case of Nima Carter. The former babysitter would eventually die in prison of liver cancer in 2005, and without any statements regarding the Carter case, it would appear that Jacqueline would take her secret to the grave. These two cases were especially awful crimes to research since the victims were young children. It is heartbreaking and horrifying to imagine how a child could be taken out of a house while the parents sleep just a few rooms away, especially if by someone trusted by the family like a babysitter. The fact that the police believe Jacqueline hid inside the house for hours beforehand makes this case even creepier and disturbing to think about. Though Jacqueline was never convicted of the murder of young Nima Carter, it is virtually established that she was behind the murder, especially considering that the two crime cases practically mirror each other. Though it is a shame that she was never convicted of Nima's death, there was at least some justice found in that she was given a life sentence for her earlier murder of another young child. The death of Nima Carter certainly makes for a very sad and disturbing crime that took place on Halloween. So with that, I'll wrap up this first part of this Halloween Mysteries and Murders episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Again, a reminder for all the patrons of the show that you can continue listening to the second part over on patreon.com slash strangematters. For everyone else, thanks for listening along. If you have any thoughts on these two cases, please feel free to write to us at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. As always, if you have ideas or suggestions for future episodes, please share that with us as well. You can also get in touch with us on our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
So until the next episode, take care and happy Halloween, everyone.